So God, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you for an opportunity to adore Jesus, to remember his beauty, his greatness, and so we just commit this evening into your hands. We're going to continue our worship, actually, really, um, one of the greatest elements that Christmas is all about is it celebrates um, the fact that God, out of great love, within the realm of great generosity, has given to us a great gift, and so really what, what worship is, worship is... Um, prioritizing, it's emulating, it's reflecting upon, it's loving, it's uh, considering something to be of great value or great worth. And one of the things that we look about with regard to God and we consider as infinite worth and infinite value is the fact that God is a generous God. Everything that God does is just based upon His generosity, His great love. And so one of the ways when we worship as a church, we worship by giving. And we're going to have an opportunity to worship by giving uh, our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. But let me just say this as well. If you're one of our guests, please don't feel any obligation to give. We're not in any way, we don't want people to feel any awkwardness or weirdness. If you're one of our guests, what we want really for you, if anything, we want you to receive. We want you to receive God's grace and God's kindness and God's love. Um, we have an opportunity to give like this because it's a way for us to continue to prioritize the mission of the church and prioritize the ministry of emphasizing the gospel. So if you would like to be a part of that and give from that heart of generosity and same heart of love and kindness like God gives, then you're more than welcome to be invited to be brought into that. But again, the main idea is we just want for you, especially if you're one of our guests, to feel no obligation. We want you to really receive Jesus tonight. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll have our ushers come forth as an opportunity uh, for you to continue in that realm of worship. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm going to have my good little friend, Michaela. She's going to come up and read a great little passage out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I think should be a treat for all of us. So let's pray. Uh, we'll give. We'll hear from uh, Scripture. Jesus, we just give you thanks because, God, what you've done for us by giving your Son has been the greatest thing. It's what has allowed us to enjoy this thing that we call salvation. It's what's enabled us to be able to see. Light has come into this world, and therefore we've been able to see. And God, in the same way, you call us to reflect you, to demonstrate how great you are by giving with the same attitude of generosity the way that you give. And so, Father, we want our giving to be in that same vein. Lord, we want to be able to use the gifts that you've given to us in a way that reflect you by being able to go forth back into uh, the ministry, by being able to spread the gospel and help other people to know who Jesus is, to have their lives transformed by your grace. And so, God, we want to have that continuation of our worship to be able to reflect who you are in that same vein of giving. So, uh, receive our gifts as an attitude of love and praise and worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my friend Michaela. Why don't you guys say hi to Michaela? She'll read to you guys a little story. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. 
Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You, do, you don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Mary, Gabriel said, and laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. What? Wait. Could God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said and felt her heart beating. Hard? How can it be true? It's anything too, too wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see. She believed. She believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just. As the angel had said, nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town of King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place. And there isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in there, in the stable amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows. In the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him, to keep, wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle, and they grazed in wonder at God's great gift. Wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us, because of course he had. (laughs) 
That same night, in amongst the other stars, suddenly a bright new star appeared of all the stars in the dark, vaulted heavens. This one shone clear. It blazed in the night then, and made the other stars look pale beside it. God put it there when his baby son was born to be like a spotlight shining on him, lighting up the darkness, showing people the way to him. You see, God was like a new daddy. He couldn't keep the good news to himself. He had been waiting all these long years for this moment, and now he wanted to tell everyone. So he pulled out all the stops. He, he sent an angel to tell Mary the good news. He put a special star in the sky to show where his baby boy was. And now he was going to send a big chorus of angels to sing his happy song to the world. He's here. He's come. Go and see him, my little boy. Now where would you send now where would you send your splendid core? To a big concert? How, to maybe a big concert hall maybe? Or perhaps or a palace perhaps. God sent his to a little hillside outside a little town in the middle of the night. He sent all those angels to sing for a rag, raggedy old bunch of shepherds watching their sheep outside Bethlehem. In those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds and say they were smelly and call them other rude names, which I can't possibly mention here. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies, were nobodies. Just scruffy old riffraff, but God must have thought the shepherds were very important in need. Indeed, because they, because they're the ones He chose to tell the good news to first. That night, some shepherds were out in open fields, warming themselves by a campfire. And suddenly the sheep darted the sheep darted and they were frightened by something. The olive trees rustled. What was what was that what was that? A wing beat. They turned around, standing in front of them was a huge warrior of light blazing in the darkness. Don't be afraid of me, the bright shining man said. I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to bring you happy news for everyone, everywhere. Today in David's town in Bethlehem, God's son has been born. You can go and see him. He's sleeping in a manger behind the angel, they saw a strange glowing cloud. Except it wasn't a cloud, it was angels. 
troops and troops of angels, armed with delight, and they were singing a beautiful song, glory to God, glory to God, be fame and honor on our hoorays. When then was then as quickly as they appeared, the angels left. The shepherds stamped, stomped out their f fire, left their sheep, raced down the grassy hill, through the gates of Bethlehem, down the narrow cobble streets, through a courtyard, down some down some steps, 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 past an inn, around a corner, through the hedge, until at last they, re they, they reached a tumble-down staple. They caught their breath, then quickly they tiptoed inside. They knelt on the dirt floor. They had heard about this promised child, and now he was here, heaven's son, the maker of the stars, a baby sleeping in his mother's arms. This baby would be like that bright star shining in the sky that night, a light to keep up the whole world, chasing away darkness, helping people to see and the darker the night got, the brighter the star would shine. Christmas is one of those times, obviously, in which we celebrate a miracle. Something happen, happened that normally just doesn't happen every day. And that's, that's what tonight is really about. It's what tomorrow is going to be about, which we remember what God had done. Greatest miracle, really, that God had done. And what Christmas is about is really... It's the announcement. It's news. I heard a story of a handful of prisoners. They, it was during World War II. They were caught. They were captive, held captive. They were starving kind of in their little prison cell. And uh, they were sick and emaciated, and they were not well fed. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of tragedy, a lot of hopelessness had happened. And they were part of, uh, like I said, in prison by Hitler's own soldiers. And then all of a sudden, some point, things changed, and uh, these people went from being saddened and brokenhearted and um, hurting and all that type of stuff to now finding joy and being happy, and something had happened, and what had uh, later been found out that had happened is somebody slipped in a radio into the cell, and these people were in the cell listening to the radio, and what they discovered was that the uh, Allied troops had sort of made their way in. They were now breaking into... Um, you know, Hitler's camp and the war, in essence, was over. And yet they had still, nothing had really changed. They were still sick. They were still underfed. They were still emaciated. They were still not feeling all that great. But something inside had changed. And really what had happened was it was news. They had the announcement of good news that something was about to change for them. And really that's what the gospel is. It's the announcement of good news. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate Christmas and why we celebrate even like Christmas Eve like we're doing tonight is because it's news that God has announced something, that God has actually taken up action rather than to allow the earth to go into its constant downgrading spiral into sin and death and destruction, 
that God has actually entered on and into his own creation that has rejected him by way of sin. And he sought to bring about a means to restore us and to set us free. In other words, the gospel is an announcement. And even though we live in a world where in a lot of ways we still wrestle with sin, we're still sick, we still find ourselves broken, we still find that in a lot of ways things have not really changed in essence for the most part, but the news has changed everything. We, we know that God's on the move. We know that God's doing something. We know that God has initiated something. And the reason why we know that is because of what happened 2,000 years ago. Now, Christmas is one of those celebrations that outside of the Bible, outside of the story that like we had just read, the Bible doesn't really talk a lot about Christians actually gathering together on a particular night throughout the year to actually commemorate or celebrate the events of Jesus' birth. And so there's not a lot that the Bible actually talks about doing this. And so, uh, you know, historians have tried to figure out, you know, how do we trace back Christmas and its origins and how do we celebrate it? And, you know, a lot of people have kind of, you know, debated whether or not Jesus really was actually born on Christmas Eve and all that. And most scholars believe that probably wasn't. You know, we don't know exactly when he was born for the most part. But probably around uh, the fourth century, so around 300 years after Jesus had lived and had resurrected and ascended back into heaven, Christians started celebrating this day. Again, most scholars believe that it's probably kind of a replacement of an old pagan holiday. And they said, rather than let's celebrating, you know, pagan deities, let's celebrate the fact that God became man and that we can celebrate this, that we can basically remember the fact that God set foot into this world and God started doing something amazing. And we are actually being brought into God's story that we want to celebrate this. And, and so what had happened was, Christians started remembering or commemorating this particular time of year as being a time, not that Jesus was necessarily born in this particular day per se, but the fact that God came into this world. That's really the miracle, that God came into this world. That's what we celebrate. That's what we commemorate. That's what we remember. Really, that's what we, re we rejoice over. And throughout the centuries, what Christians have done is they've tried to look for different symbols, different ways in which they can sort of emblemize or remember uh, Jesus and his coming into this world. Now, the Bible has a lot of different types of imagery and symbolism, things that we would typically do, and we would describe them as biblical activities. For example, we would take communion. Typically on Sunday mornings, as a church, part of our worship, we take communion together. We have an opportunity to break the bread and to drink the cup, and it reminds us. And the Bible talks about this. This is something that Jesus himself had initiated or instituted uh, we call this a sacrament. And it reminds us of what Jesus did. It's symbolism. There's not necessarily anything magical or sacred about bread or wine or juice. But it, what it does is it points to Jesus, who is sacred. He is holy. He's a good God. So we take the bread and it reminds us of Jesus. But throughout the ages, Christians have had different types of symbols to point people to himself, to point people to Jesus and what God's work has done. Throughout the ages... Christians uh, from all sorts of different spheres of life, both Protestant, both Catholic, both all around the world, have celebrated what typically is called Advent wreath or Advent candles and whatnot. We're going to do kind of a modified version, our own little modified version of that. Not because, again, there's anything sacred with regard to candles, but what they point to. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to light some candles. And what I want to do is each of these candles are basically intended, you know, typically the way they would do this, they would light candles once a week for the four weeks coming up to uh, Christmas. And then Christmas Eve, they would light the final candle. We're not going to do that. Like I said, this is our own modified version of this. We're making up the tradition ourselves, and so you can bear with me if you would. But the idea is not so much the tradition or even the lighting of candles or anything like that, but what they speak of, what it points to. Today, today, this evening, this is about Jesus. It's not about candles. It's not about little readings of stories. It's not even necessarily about us gathering. It's about Jesus. So that's the point that we really want to focus on. And what Christians have kind of focused on throughout the years in lighting these candles are various elements of what has happened, what's transpired when Jesus came. Now, like I said, the Bible doesn't teach us you've got to light a candle, remind yourself of Jesus. There are certain sacraments the Bible tells us to do, and we do those things because out of obedience to Jesus. But it's okay to have different types of things that remind us. Some people like to write in journals. It's great. It's a way to remind people of Jesus, to be reminded of tracking their thoughts and training their ways, their minds to think about God. That's fine. We have different ways by which we can remind ourselves of God. What we want to do tonight, we're going to light a couple candles, and each of these candles speak of a various element of God and what Jesus has done for us by coming into this world. Again, like I said, kind of our own little modified version of this. But what I want to do to finish all this, we'll read a scripture that has to do with Jesus being the light. That's one of the reasons why I think candles are, in some ways, you know, people celebrate, have candlelight services and whatnot. And the idea, I think, that's beautiful behind candles is that for, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years, it was the light. It was the means by which people use. Today we've got LEDs. Today we've got all sorts of fancy things that we can use, red lights and all that. It looks kind of nice. But for hundreds, thousands of years, the light that people used were candles. So, or outside, they would have the moon and the stars. Since we're indoors, imagine yourself being in a place where it's dark, and yet someone comes in with a candle or some sort of means to light up the room. Everything changes then. Something happens. And that's what the gospel is all about. The Bible is going to describe Jesus as being a light come into this world. I want to read a scripture in a moment uh, indicating that. And what we'll do, we're going to do something different we've never done before, and we're going to actually give each of you guys candles to light and you're going to light it yourselves. And so this could get a little bit tricky, but some of you have little kids. We're not going to give little kids candles because that's called suicide, and we want to celebrate Jesus tomorrow on Christmas Day. So we're actually going to give you little kids glow sticks, all right? And the idea behind that is we want somebody, every one of us, to have some sort of light in our hands that's going to be symbolic. Again, it's going to point us to Jesus. We're putting a symbolism into that because our main goal is not a candle, it's not a glow stick, it's Jesus. We want to be reminded of Jesus. So the main preeminent way by which we remind ourselves of Jesus is through the Scripture. And we can use alternative ways as well. But the main primary ways through the Scripture, I'm going to read a passage in just a moment. But what I want to do is I'm going to light each of these candles and they speak to us of at least four different things. And the final one, the middle one, is going to speak to us of Jesus. All right, the first candle that oftentimes is typically lit We'll just take this one in no particular order. It oftentimes has spoken of, of hope. And hope is something in which we look forward to something happening. Hope. Imagine yourself in a place where you're hopeless. You've got no hope, nothing to hold on to. And yet somebody comes in, like I said, with an announcement that something good is on its way. Some sort of justice is going to happen. That 
God is on the move. God is going to come in and reoccupy territory that has now been taken over by the evil one, for example. That offers people hope, a sense of we can move on, we can keep going forward. So the first candle simply refers to and points us to this idea of hope of which the Bible speaks often of. The second candle is peace. We'll do this one out here. And peace is something which the Bible talks about. God says, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but I give to you my own peace. And the Bible talks about that the world offers a form of peace, but it's not a peace that's a lasting peace. It's not a peace that is transcendent. It's not a peace that keeps going on and on and on. It's a peace that has an expiration date. The peace that God offers has no expiration date. It's a peace that comes from God himself. Do you know that God is at rest? Did you know that God is at peace? God knows who he is. He's confident of who he is. He's not worried about what he is. He's at peace. The Bible tells us that those who trust in our God are brought into the peace that God himself gives. The third candle speaks of love. And it speaks of this idea of God being a loving God. He's a loving God. John 3.16 is a scripture that most of us are familiar with. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But the baseline, the very essence which drove God to give, the very thing that allowed God to be generous in the very beginning was the fact that God is a loving God. He loves to rescue. And the Bible talks to us about the fact that God created us in his image. He loves us. And what's happened with sin, sin has entered into the world, the sin is basically us saying that even though we're created in God's image, we don't want to be in God's image. We don't want God's fingerprints on us. We don't want to be identified with God. It's like a rebellious son or a daughter who's basically trying to run away and distance himself from their mom and dad, saying, I don't want to have anything to do with my family ever. And yet what God does, because we've all been created in his image, and because really at the end of the day, we can't run from God. Where can we run? He inhabits eternity. God is everywhere. We can't outrun God. We can't outpace God. He's a, he's a loving God. And to demonstrate the fact that God is actually near and not far, God actually sent His Son into this world. He's a God who's close. So we, the candle also speaks to us that we just lit of the fact that God is a loving God. And the final candle that we light before the last one is this is the idea of joy. It's a candle that speaks to us of the fact that one of the things that God wants to bring about is joy. The Bible talks about in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. The problem is with sin and rebellion is that it promises a false joy. That's what sin is. That's what rebellion is. We fall after, we go after, we hunt after, we long for, we allow our hearts to go after other things that promise us joy. But what happens is when we obtain those things, we discover that joy is short-lived. It doesn't last very long. But what God tells us is that in His presence is fullness of joy. Being identified with Him is fullness of joy. He created us in His image. In other words, it's the picture of this is that God is a loving dad, He's a loving father, and that He has big arms and He wants to welcome us in. He loves us. He wants to embrace us. And that in that sense, in that hug, in that embrace is joy. One of the things I love to watch with little kids, little children, maybe two years old, three years old, I love watching little children just look at their mom and dad with this sense of like, I love you. I'm just so happy to have you in my life. Or when a mom or dad picks up their kid and hugs them, 
just the sense of satisfaction in the eyes of a child. Like, they may not even be able to articulate what they're actually feeling. They don't need to articulate it. You can just look at their eyes, and their eyes say everything. Their eyes basically scream full of joy. That's all it says. That's all it says. Joy. That's what God wants to bring about for us. The problem that we oftentimes face, of which the Bible describes we need to be rescued from, is this idea where we try to run from God. We think that joy is found elsewhere. This was the great lie that the devil made to Eve in the garden. Was that, did God really say that you can have, not have anything in the garden? And she is lied to. And then she ultimately takes the fruit because in her mind she's actually thinking that joy is not found in obedience to God, but joy is actually found in forbidden fruit. And that's the way we oftentimes live. We look at areas and elements in our lives that oftentimes get presented to us and we think that there's joy found in that, which God says, no, no, joy is found in me, not in forbidden fruit, not in other things that lead to death. Joy is found in me because I love you. I created you. You're in my image. You're in my likeness. Don't run from that. Trust me. Love me. Serve me. Walk in relationship with me. But the problem is, is that we have sinned. We've turned against a good God who truly loves us. And the Bible is going to describe that when we sin, that brings a, that's an offense to a good, holy God. And what God seeks to do is to correct that, to bring about reconciliation with us who've followed, fallen after sin, followed after sin and walked away from God, and yet God seeks to restore and redeem us. And so the means or the way by which God has done this is He sends His Son Jesus into this world. That's what Christmas is all about. That God comes into this world. And the final candle is this. And here's what I want to do. I want to read the scripture first. Then I'm going to light the candle. And what I'm going to do as soon as I'm done lighting the candle. Is I'm going to have, I asked a few little helpers of mine. And uh, if anybody else wants to help out, that's fine too. We have some candles that we're going to actually pass out to each of you guys. In fact, how about my little helpers? You guys can come up right now and you can start handing out those candles. Sound good? Anybody else wants to come help? That would be great too. Uh, you can hand out the candles and you can hand some glow sticks to all the little kids. So make sure that little kids don't get candles. Just glow sticks. And if you can, keep yourself from breaking the glow stick until we're ready. But if you fail, that's all right. No big deal. I want to read a passage. It's out of the book of Isaiah. And it speaks of Jesus as being the light. So I'm going to read this passage. And then I'm going to light the final candle. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to light one of the candles that you guys have. And then what I would like for you to do is to turn around and light someone else's candle. And the imagery or the picture, the idea or the symbolism is this. Is that God comes into this world through Jesus. He is the light. He is the light of the world. And through rescuing us by dying on the cross for us in our place, for our sins, for our offense, Jesus reconciles us back to God. In other words, He turns our darkness into light. But one of the things that Jesus oftentimes spoke to His own disciples, He says, as the Father sent me into this world, so I'm going to send you into this world. Paul the Apostle later on would talk about saying how what God has done through Jesus is He's reconciled us back to God. In other words, he's taken our deadened hearts, our darkened hearts because of sin, and he's turned us back to life, given us life, 
turned our darkness into light. And so what Paul's going to say is, therefore, take the ministry that you've been given and go be reconcilers to other people. So the idea is that our light that has been given to us by Jesus as a gift is something that God calls us to go into the lives of other people to shine the light that God's shown into our hearts to other people. In other words, as God affected us, changed us, transformed us, so we also have the opportunity to affect, transform, and change other people's lives. Not because we're special, not because we have necessarily anything innately great within us, but that we have a God that's given us life and light. That's the picture. That's what Christmas is about. That's why we celebrate Jesus' birth, even though this may not be the exact day. What we do is we celebrate the fact that God has stepped into this world, into our brokenness, into our darkness, in order to bring light and life and redemption. It's a beautiful story. That's the gospel. Good news actually changes things. You might not be any different. You might find yourself still sick, still hurting, still having difficulties in your life. But good news, actually, the announcement of something good in which God is doing could radically change everything about you and everything about your life and everything about the legacy that you will leave in the lives of your kids and of your families. It's really good news. This is why we love Jesus. This is why we're here to celebrate this. Very good news. So I'm going to light the final candle. I'm going to read the scripture. And as soon as I'm done, I'll have you come on up and I'll light your candle. Then you guys can start that light being spread. And then what we'll do is we'll sing a few more songs in closing. Sound good? And again, like I said, there's nothing really super unique or sacred about symbolism. Nothing. Other than the fact that it points to a God who is great. So let's listen to the passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them this light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice because before you as with joy at a harvest. And they are glad when they divide, divide the spoil. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace that uh, there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I want for us tonight to adore Jesus because, first of all, he's humble. He's a humble God. You've got to understand this. This is what's absolutely amazing about Jesus is that he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords who holds all things, who created all things, and yet he willingly chooses to humble himself to be born in the form of just a regular peasant, Jewish peasant guy living in a little-known area part of the world. I want you to adore Jesus because of the fact that he's humble. I want you to adore Jesus because he's loving. He's a loving God that has come to rescue, to seek and save those that need to be sought after and saved. And finally, I want for us to adore Jesus because he's a light bearer. He comes into darkness to bring light. 
for the most part, this is about as dark in this room as we can kind of get it without turning off every other light, which we won't do. You're welcome. But the reality is I want you to at least feel the darkness. There's something about darkness that's to some degree tangible. We don't like darkness. Darkness makes us uncomfortable. It should. But in reality, darkness is the description that the Bible places upon our soul apart from God. See, God is life. And God is light. And in our sin, when we pull away from God, when we walk away from God, and we follow after other false gods and other notions, we're actually walking deeper into darkness. And yet what happens is that when we are in this darkness, we need to be rescued from it. And that's the hope of what we celebrate here at Christmas time, is that God has sought to rescue us by sending us a light bearer. Jesus comes into this world as light to rescue us. So I'm going to light the final candle, and you can come on up and I'll light your candle, then you guys can, just once your candle's lit, and start lighting people all around, all around yours. How about that? God, we want to say thank you for the great gift that you've given us of your son. We want to adore him, to love him, for just all the attributes that we've seen revealed through your word. God, for the joy that you give to us, the fact that the good news, the gospel, is not about us having to do something to get you to love us. It's the announcement, the good news that you have done something for us. So God, I pray that you would help us to just rightly honor, rightly worship, rightly adore you. We just give you thanks. Help us, God, to even tonight, tomorrow, to continue our worship of you at home, amongst your families, the things that we do, the way that we give. God, let it be done in a way that just reflects the beauty of the gospel, which, and what you've done for us. We pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.